morning. Man, it's cold outside. How cold is it? <laughs> it's so cold that ice cube is literally an ice cube. Oh, come on. It's so cold outside. How cold is it? You guys don't know this game or what? Lawyers are sticking their hands in their own pockets. Oh! Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks for braving, braving the weather. Um, it's pretty cold out. When I got up this morning, I looked at my phone. It said minus two degrees. That's pretty cold. So I'm glad you all made it safely. Hopefully there's nobody that was intending to come here that isn't here because they didn't make it safely. Um, let's just pray for a second. Father God, we just <clears throat> come before you now. God, as we explore your word and the, uh, the life of Paul, that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our heart to know and understand who you are and who we are in you more deeply. God, we thank you for um, just all the things that you've given us, um, all the walls that you tear down, all the lies that you tear down. God, I just pray that <clears throat> we would find our identity in you that we would find our identity as a church in you, that we would know that we're part of something bigger and better because of you. God, as we uh, just take the next few minutes to explore your word, I just pray that your spirit moves in this place, moves in our lives, um, makes things that seem unclear, clear. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> you have to forgive me, I'm got a sore throat and I'm losing my voice a little bit, so this may be a short one, but we'll see. So we're reading out of Acts 20, 1 through 7 today. We're finally moving into Acts 20. We've been exploring the book of Acts for quite some time. I don't know exactly how long, but it's been a little bit, and uh, it's been eye-opening for me just to um, really know and understand a little bit more deeply about um, where we come from as a church and uh, how Paul um, just used the gift that, that God's given him <clears throat> to share Christ's love uh, throughout the world. And ultimately, through the course of time, it came here today to Greeley, Colorado, which I think is a pretty miraculous thing. If you look through history and the ideas and thoughts and religions that have come and gone that haven't lasted, but this idea of Jesus and the fact that Jesus died, rose again, um, so that you could have salvation is unbelievable that we are celebrating that uh, even years and years and years beyond that time. So um, a couple real quick things, and I'll remind us of this again at the end, but um, if you look out this window or when you go out this building, you look um, over here to the north, you see our friends at St. Patrick Presbyterian Church, and uh, they're a little bit more liturgical than us, and they're really good neighbors to us, and they've invited us to join them this uh, Wednesday for Ash Wednesday service. So if you've never done an Ash Wednesday service, um, it is 
just a really good time of reflection, of remembering and knowing um, what you are and who you are in Christ and, and preparing your heart uh, for Easter. Ash Wednesday happens 40 days before Easter. And um, <clears throat> there's a couple fun facts that I like uh, to share about Ash Wednesday. My wife and I go to Ash Wednesday uh, services every year, and we have for a long time, probably seven or eight years at least. And uh, so the ashes from Ash Wednesday are actually the palm branches from Palm Sunday the year before that are dried out, and then they're burned, and then they use those ashes uh, for Ash Wednesday. I always think that's kind of interesting to, to remember that this is kind of a cycle, and it keeps going and going and going. So those palm uh, palm prawns from uh, Palm Sunday will be used next year for Ash Wednesday. So I would encourage you to go. It's at 5.30, and then right after that is First Wednesday here in this building. And so you can do both those things. I think it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool way for us to be able to partner with our neighbors. Um, well, let's jump into these verses. Acts 21 through 7. <clears throat> There's some names in this that I'm going to probably butcher. I'm just warning you. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples after encouraging them, said goodbye, and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Beraria, um, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychius and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Trios, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking till midnight. Acts 21 through 7. So when I first read these verses, and Aaron said, This is what you're going to be preaching, I was like, Are you kidding me? Come on, man, like, how am I supposed to preach on this? It's, this is like, um, to me, uh, this is kind of like the establishing shots in a movie, you know, as the credits are rolling and they're, like, showing these shots, and it's kind of giving you a glimpse of what may be unfolding in the movie, but it has nothing to do with really the storyline or anything, and it's like, I don't know what to, how do you preach on something like this? But as I prayed about it, and I read more and more and studied a little bit more. The names of these people that were with Paul kept kind of rising to the surface. They started to pique my interest. The community around Paul makes this scripture come alive. Community is one of the most valuable assets that we have as human beings. Community connects us to each other and our common interests and values, community develops people who are in life together. 
This is a value that's been expressed by God since the very beginning of time. So how far back does this idea of community go? Community goes back to the very beginning of humanity, to the Garden of Eden. Keep in mind, the definition of community is this. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Aaron and I spoke about community and fellowship a few months ago and how fellowship is rooted in this uh, idea. The root word for fellowship is fee and lay, that you would pay a fee, you would lay down a fee together, like you're mutually invested with two people or more people or group of people um, moving in the same direction, that you would kind of put your money where your mouth is. So in the very beginning of creation, God creates community. It says this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. And just, I forgot to mention, but if you have the Version app, you can go to the events page and you can find uh, these references there. <clears throat> and it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Here's something worth noting. Adam existed in the garden with God, and you could argue that he wasn't alone in the garden. He was with God. But God says it's not good for man to be alone. I think that's kind of interesting. That God and Adam were in the garden together and God still said that it's not good for man to be alone. This is the only place in the creation story where God says it's not good. Everything else, it's good, it's good, it's good. In this instance, it says it's not good. The problem is this. The relationship between God and Adam lacked equality and commonality. It lacked common attitudes, interests, and goals. God found something lacking in the garden, and that was community between human and human. People that exist on the same plane of understanding. God has common unity with the Son and the Holy Spirit but we can't understand God in that same way. We lack community with God. God says in Scripture that we're not capable of understanding him. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. That doesn't mean that we can't have a relationship with God. We absolutely can have a relationship with God. But God knew that we needed community 
with like-minded equals in our life. And he created a way for us to have that kind of community. We need each other. You and I need each other. These people in this room, we need each other. We rely on each other to accomplish the things that God has in store for us. God designed us this way. God made us for community. I've been reading this book. It's an interesting book. It's called The Twelve Rules for Life. And the author, Jordan Peterson, writes this. I find myself frequently overcome and amazed by the ability of people to befriend one another, to love their intimate partners and parents and children and do what they must to keep the machinery of the world running. I knew a man, injured and disabled by a car accident, who was employed by a local utility. For years after the crash, he worked side by side with another man who for his part suffered from a degenerative neurological disease. They cooperated while repairing the lines, each one making up for the other's inadequacy. This sort of everyday heroism is the rule, I believe, rather than the exception. The rule rather than the exception. We make up for each other's inadequacies when we work together, when we partner together. Do you believe that? Do you think that's the case? Do you believe we work together so that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish? Just stop and think for a second about how much your life depends on other people. You got here today because roads were plowed. But if you want to dig a little deeper, those roads got made by somebody. The car you drove in was designed and built and manufactured by somebody. Everything that we do, it's because somebody else is helping us along the way, that we're in this together with other people. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was traveling in Michigan, and I work for, many of you know, I work for Youth for Christ and Church Project, and uh, it was a church project, sorry, a Youth for Christ thing that I was traveling with, and um, something you have to know about people that choose to work with teenagers as a profession, they're strange people. Some are stranger than others, as this story will attest. So there was this guy that I was um, hanging out with, and he's an older guy. He's been in Youth for Christ for, I don't know, 30 years or 32 years. And um, we were just spending some time together. And while we were there, um, the way Youth for Christ kind of works and Young Life kind of works the same way is when you're at a camp, which we were working at a camp, they have these people, they're called work crew, and they're people that serve you and serve your food for you and get you things that you need if you need anything, and, and they're just there to serve other people. So while we were there, we were planning for Youth for Christ Camp this summer, and the director of Youth for Christ Camp, her name's Molly, her parents were there serving on work crew along with their small group. And so it's all these people that are in their late 60s, early 70s, that are serving all of us. It was very kind of a humbling experience for us and for them, I think. And um, so I knew Molly's parents were there, but I didn't know who Molly's parents were. So I was talking to this couple, and we were just kind of shooting the breeze and chit-chatting. And this friend of mine, this older guy, he comes up behind Molly's parents, and he puts his arms around them. 
And he says, Ryan Doherty, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, well, I'm making an assumption, but I assume it's Molly's parents. And he said, that's absolutely right. A sperm from this man, an egg from this man, come together and made Molly. And I just sat there. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> it was one of the most awkward experiences of my life. I, just kind of awkward laughter. They're awkwardly laughing. But that's community. <laughs> I brought a full circle. Come on. But that's true. That your existence today is dependent on the community of your parents. The connection that they had in some way or the other resulted in you being here today. <laughs> I can't look at Jeremy right now. <laughs> in order for us to be able to achieve what God has in mind for our individual lives, we need community. And to accomplish what God has in mind for the life of this church, we need community. It's not just about us as individuals. It's about us as individuals that come together around a common good, a common hope, a common dream, a desire to change the world. Jesus' final words were the Great Commission to go out to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to go out and do these things. But it can't just be a one-man show. We can't rely on just other people to do that for us. It's about us doing it together. Each one of us, God has gifted in different ways to accomplish what he desires for us. And we have to work hand-in-hand, hand, making up for each other's inadequacies. As I read these verses in Acts 20, it reminds me of the people that Paul surrounded himself with. It's easy to focus on the work of Paul. I mean, it's all through the New Testament. You see Paul doing all these amazing things, and oftentimes we don't even think about the fact that he surrounded himself by people who made it possible for him to accomplish those things. Paul becomes this through line but one fact that can't be ignored is that he had a team of people that made it possible. As he went on encouraging people, he had encouragers. He had a community of people that made it possible. They fulfilled their purpose so that Paul could fulfill his purpose, so that this gospel message could end up here today in Greeley, Colorado. So let's not exhort ignore Paul's people. So Pater, son of Pyrrhus from Beraria, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Some of these people, this is the only mention they receive in scripture, but they played a role. I think it's interesting when you look at Acts how did Paul get to where he needed to get? He didn't have a boat. He didn't have much money. He hitchhiked on boats to get to where he needed to go. There was people that gave him rides, that set him up, that did this for him, provided him food, provided him work. 
the men and women that supported Paul on all these journeys, the people that fed him, who cared for him, that provided for him, that protected him, that went before him to prepare a way. All these people who loved him, they played an important role in fulfilling his mission. And it's really easy for us to say, I'm not that important. I don't have that much value. I don't have that much to offer or bring to the table. It's really easy to deceive yourself. I think Satan wants to deceive us in thinking that we aren't very good, that we can accomplish what God has for us. I think that's one of the lies that he puts in all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Billy Graham or whether you're Joe Schmo. I think God plants this lie in our minds that says, you may think that you're okay, but you're not good enough. But that's not true. That's a lie from Satan. You are good enough. You do have a role to play. We all bring value to this kind of big machine. And whenever you think that you don't play a very important role, remember that every role is important. I ran across this video this week, and I want to share it with you.
I like that video because <clears throat> Charlie Plum makes um, it clear that he never really thought about the person that packed his parachute until the time that he needed his parachute. But that person fulfilled a very important role in saving that man's life. And I believe that we all play a role. Some are in front of the scenes and some are behind the scenes. But each one of those roles has enormous value. I believe that God has big plans for this church. I think his plans are bigger than our wildest dreams. But we have to be in this together. We have to be able to count on each other. We have to be able to live in community, moving together. And that's the only way that this is going to work. We can't be a bunch of individuals that show up but don't put up. This, this church is way bigger than one person. Way bigger. If we aren't in this together, we'll never achieve what God has hoped for us. I tell Jeremy and Aaron often that we can't expect anyone to love this church more than we love it. No one can be more excited about this church than we are excited about it. God is doing some amazing things through Church Project. So are we in it together? I would say the same thing to you. No one's going to love this church more than you love it. No one's going to be more excited about what God does here than you are. If you call this church your home, how do you love it? Are you excited about it? If so, how do you show it? We have an opportunity, I think, in this community. I think the pump is primed to change this community, to change this area, to change downtown because of our presence here. But we can't just expect somebody else to do it. We got to do it together. We got to be like Paul and his people and do our part to make sure that this city gets changed. Do you get involved? Are you in a house church? If you want community, a house church is probably the best place to find community. These are people that have share your values, share um, accountability with you, have similar expectations from you. These are people that when the going gets tough, when the stuff hits the fan, that you can call on to help you. It's rare to find that anywhere. And I think even in our own uh, worlds that we live in now, we have all the technology in the world and we're more disconnected than we've ever been. I think that's a real reality and a real problem that we have the ability to connect with anybody, anywhere in the world in the blink of an eye. I had this weird thing happen to me this week really weird. I, I got a message on Facebook that said, hey, Ryan, do you still rollerblade with your brother? And I'm like, what the heck is this? And then he started asking me some other questions, and I'm like, 
this is really weird because I used to rollerblade with my brother. So like, who knows this? It's been since I was in ninth grade. And then I, he said, I went to school with you at Jean Zay. That was the name of the school. In France in 1991, I think it was. And he said, how are you? I, I just was thinking about you and I decided to see if I could find you on Facebook. I'm like, this is weird. And it was this Muslim kid that I went to school with however many years ago in 1991 in France that found me on Facebook and then he called me, you know, with Facebook you can call people. And so we had a conversation, a very sad, me trying to speak French, him trying to speak English conversation. <laughs> but it was a real eye-opening thing that we are this connected as people, that we can connect with people all the time, but we don't connect with people in real life. That we miss out on this opportunity to have real connection with other people. To give somebody a hug, to hold somebody's hand, to pray for somebody, to lay hands on somebody. We miss out on this because we, don't, we push back against community for whatever reason. We find excuses to not have community. So I would encourage you to become involved in a house church. You come to First Wednesday, it's this Wednesday, 6.30, right here. You can experience community as we worship together with commonality and equality. We worship God together. We, you're welcome to come to Ash Wednesday service to be part of a bigger community outside of this church. This is your church. This isn't my church. This isn't Jeremy's church. This isn't Aaron's church. This is your church. We're in this together. I want to be part of something bigger and better and life-changing. I want to be part of it with you. I think that we have the opportunity to change Greeley. And in the process, we have the opportunity to change the world. I don't think the journey that Paul went on ended. I think it's continuing today. It keeps moving. It keeps going. It keeps reaching. There's new people. There's people born every day that don't know Jesus. And we have that opportunity to share that with them. I love how this passage ends. It ends this way. We came together to break bread. Sometimes in Scripture, breaking bread means eating a meal together. When Paul talks about breaking bread, in some instances, it means just having, sitting down and having a meal together. And other times it refers to the Lord's Supper. In this instance, it refers to the Lord's Supper. Both types of breaking bread are valuable to community. Almost nothing solidifies common unity than sharing a meal together. That's why when presidents and kings and queens and diplomats and rulers, when they come together over an agreement, they often share a meal together. But for Christians on a common path, breaking bread in the sense of the Lord's Supper is even more a meal of mutual agreement. It's a declaration of Christ's sacrifice and love for us. It's called communion. It's all about community. You can't have Christian community without communion. 
which is how this passage ends. And I don't think that there's any more fitting ending to this passage to this passage than breaking bread together. And there's no more fitting ending to this time together than breaking bread together. So I'm going to invite Jerry Ashida up and he's going to lead us in communion. In Psalm 46, one of my favorite passages uh, in the Bible that I refer to probably every week. Uh, verse number 10, it tells us, be still and know that I am God. You know, out of the hundred and some hours of this past week, some of you think right now you're being still. This is the hour that I could give to the Lord where I could finally be still. We're really busy. You know, one thing I found out about Christians is that we're able to uh, put a pretty good face on. You know, we come to church, we get dressed up. We don't dress up like we used to. Back in my day when I was like little in the, there was this stuff called hair oil. Anybody remember that stuff? Anybody in there? My mom uh, used to put that on my hair and she would slick our hair back and we'd put on the same clothes every week, our, our Sunday clothes every week. We, we didn't get aware of these things. It, these were a sin, actually, back then. And uh, that's how we celebrated that hour or two every week of being still. But you know, that chapter in Psalms, up earlier in the verses, it talks about a lot of disruption in life. It talks about how, you know, the earth might fall into the sea. Or how mountains just shum, shudder and crumble. The waters make their noise. And it reminds me of what's underneath this face. What's behind these clothes. Some of you had a tough week. Some of you can't sleep at night because of struggles in your life. There's illness. There's struggles with jobs, relationships, just all that stuff. You know it. That's what the chapter talks about. The earth might fall into the sea. The mountains crumble. Then it says, but there's a river. Streams make glad the city of God. And with that, I think we're told to be still and know that he is God. You know, the night before Jesus was put on trial, he sat around a table with his best friends. He told them, be still. There's going to be struggles coming. You need to remember me. Remember what I've done. And that's what we've come to do, to, to do today, is to be still. To think about those things that, that, that Christ has done for us. You know, we take this bread and we remember the body that was broken for each one of us. We remember the sacrifice that was made. Be still. He passed the drink around. He knew that these guys were going to struggle. You know, we all think about Peter and how he denied the Lord. But if you read a little bit deeper into, into the scripture there, every one of them, 
every one of those disciples basically fled. Be still. You know, in our lives, those things that are deep within us, those struggles that we have, a lot of times, you know, we struggle to take a minute every day. Some of us might even have that little saying on our, our wall, that verse, in just a short verse that says, be still and know that I am God. So, you know, every morning we might take that minute or that two minutes to slow down enough. Okay, I'm still. I'll whisper a prayer and I'll be still. But I think our being still means uh, takes a little deep, deeper meaning when we go through struggle, doesn't it? When we're actually facing some kind of a struggle that we don't have any answers for. Jesus tells us, be still. He saw some of his friends sitting around the table. He said, be still. There's struggles coming. You're going to be faced with tough questions. Your faith is going to be challenged. Jesus said, be still. He looks at us this morning. He says, you know, consider that body that was broken for you, Jerry. Think about the sacrifice that I made for you. And he invites each one of us today to take this bread in remembrance of him. He passed the cup around and he said the same thing. You know, this is my blood. I go back to that scripture in, in, 40, in Psalm 46 when it says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And I think of what we're here for this morning. You know what? There was a river. It started with a trickle of blood from that cross. That's where my salvation comes from. That's where our hope comes from. Let's remember him. My encouragement today to you, as we've done this, church project, be still and know that he is God.